Hi, I'm Tracy Ricks Foster, and welcome to part four of the series, So You Want to Be a Writer. Thank you so much for tuning in. I would like to thank my sponsors, Anchor FM and Blue Lotus Hill Designs. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate the love. Thank you for supporting my efforts through this um, to help aspiring writers through this series. So you want to be a writer? We are on part four. Can you believe it? I can't. But then again, I can. Um, if you haven't listened to parts one, two, and three, I would advise you to perhaps stop this podcast and go over to parts one, two, and three of this series. However, if you want to stick around, go right ahead. I'm sure that I will be covering a few of the items that I covered in the previous uh, parts of this series. But you never know. I like to drop a lot of um, a lot of different gems and knowledge and experience and examples as I teach other aspiring uh, creative writers. I drop a lot of different things. So it would be to your advantage that after listening to this part that you go back to parts one, two, and three and then pick up some of the gems that I, I uh, put down for aspiring writers. I will hope that as you listen to this series, if you have any questions, feel free to drop me an email or um, contact me on social media. If you would like for me to um, do some writing consulting work or writing uh, coaching work with you, I am able to do that as well. So just direct message me or email me at off the wall with Tracy at gmail.com. All right, then let's get into it. So you want to be a writer. This series is for all of those aspiring writers. For those of you who have a story within you that you are just, oh, it's just eating you up. It has to get out. For those of you who have gone through many different experiences in your life and you want to share how you made it through, you want to share your life experience, you want to share how you accomplished your goals, you want to put all of that down in book form, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. There's nothing wrong with that, but you feel a little insecure. So that's where this series comes in to give you the needed or the added boost of confidence so that you can be able to tell your story. Because believe me, we are all part of the human experience. So anytime someone sits down and is able to tell their life experiences or use their imagination to um, entertain and uplift or encourage or enlighten. That's a wonderful thing. And I have, um, I started writing when I was about eight or nine years old. I was just so moved by the art of storytelling. And that actually hit me as a young person when I began to learn how to read. Um, I just so, so much enjoyed it, enjoyed, <laughs> enjoyed the art of storytelling. There were a series of books to help young readers 
back in the 70s when I was a kid. And those books really, I, I learned how to read or I was excited about learning to read because of the characters in those books and the stories that were being told through these characters. And they were all children as well. And they were of various races. There were uh, Caucasian children, uh, African-American children, um, and Asian children in these books. And it was so exciting for me to see other children of different races, but the stories that they were telling were exciting too. And yes, they were the basic books where uh, readers were, you know, the, the activity is to teach kids how to read. However, um, as basic as those stories were, the thing is that to keep the child's attention, and at the time I was the child, to keep my attention, the stories of these in these primers all had the essential elements of what makes a book or what makes good storytelling great. And that's what we're going to talk about today. How to make good storytelling great storytelling. Or how to even get to a level of being able to tell a good story. And that's what part four of So You Want to Be a Writer is about. So let's get to it. First of all, we're going, we're talking about, um, storytelling storytelling we're talking about fiction writing not um we're not talking about memoir writing we're not talking about uh biography writing we're not talking about autobiographical writing we're talking about the style of fiction so when i say fiction writing what am i talking about well let me explain to you or define for you what fiction writing can mean or does mean fiction writing can be defined as writing that uh, imaginary, writing about imaginary events and characters. Fiction writing does not include or involve real events or people. Fiction writing comprises what consists of novels, novellas, dramas, and short stories. Fiction writing requires creativity and imagination. So when I'm speaking about uh, fiction writing, I'm speaking about this. I'm speaking about uh, creating, using your imagination, creating characters, plots, uh, settings, situations. All of this is imaginative. For those of you who are who want to get into writing nonfiction, I think I'd cover that in part two of this series, but I will get into nonfiction writing further along as we go. However, with nonfiction, nonfiction is is basically writing about our present life, reality. Um, it's not made up is it's not fake it's real 
So um, nonfiction is a whole different other genre that we will get into soon. But right now we're going to get into fiction writing. As examples of good fiction writing, I previously suggested that we get into or that you purchase a copy or download a copy of Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell. I gave my reasoning behind selecting this particular novel as um, an example or a textbook for this series. So check that out in part three of So You Want to Be a Writer. However, excuse me, Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind is a Pulitzer Prize winning novel. And yes, it is um, controversial, but, but the novel itself is a wealth of information, has a wealth of information that we can use as writers. That we can use and that we can most certainly learn from. However, for this particular um, series, we're going to, for this particular part of the series, we're going to talk a little bit about Gone with the Wind, but we're going to get into another textbook, well, another novel that I think would make a perfect, perfect textbook for this particular part of the series. And that novel is uh, Street Players by Donald Goins. Are you a Donald Goins fan? Then if you are, then you will have read Street Players. Exciting, exciting novel, exciting content. Um, if not, if you haven't heard of Donald Goins and you haven't read any of his books, then uh, I would advise you to go ahead and do a little research on Donald Goins and go on Amazon or eBay or um um, your favorite bookseller and order a couple of his novels you would definitely definitely be immersed in his world the thing about Donald Goins which is um, such a wonderful uh, the thing about Donald Goins as a as an, an author a prolific author because he wrote over I want to say over 20 different novels in a four-year period of time. And um, Donald Goings is from Detroit, Michigan. Well, he was from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, he passed away. He was murdered. Uh, in, he was murdered, I believe, in, uh, I want to say, 1974. But do not quote me on that. I have to look that up. <laughs> But um, yes, he was murdered and um, his books centered around, uh, even though they were fiction, they centered around his life. A lot of his characters are fictitious characters, but they are also based on real people that he knew. Hence the rumor that he was murdered because of the things that he wrote in his novels. But what makes Donald Goins' books such classic, classic pieces of urban fiction is the fact that he was able 
as a writer, as an author, he was able to capture the sounds and the sight of Detroit, Michigan in the late 60s and early 70s. He was able to tap into that particular element, the element of culture, black culture in the city. What also makes Donald Goyne such a wonderful example and the reason why I am using it today, using his book, Street Players Today, is because his books capture remarkably well the elements of storytelling. And you may say, Tracy, what are the elements of storytelling? Well, let me let me inform you. The four elements of storytelling are plot, character, world, and language. Plot, character, world, language. And these four elements we're going to discuss for, we're going to discuss how they apply to Donald Goins' street players. The plot. The plot are, is the events of a story, a series of actions and reactions, a cause and effects, effects sequence of things happening that propels a character from a beginning through a middle to an end. So that is what a plot is. And you see plots play out on um, in books, novels. You see books, uh, you see plots also uh, play out on television shows as well. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and then there's a conclusion. That is called the plot. The next element of storytelling is the character. The who of a story. The people and or creatures who populate the world, who makes the decisions that drives the plot, and who let the audience vicariously experience and late relate to it all. So what is the character? The character or characters are the who of your story. The, your characters are going to drive the story. Your characters are going to be our eyes and ears. We're going to experience the world through them. And that is why it is very important to have good character development. The third element of storytelling is the world. The environment of your story. Where does your story takes, takes place? What are the physical details of that story? Like, where does it happen? The geography of it. What time period does it happen? Does it happen in the past? Does it happen in the, pu in the future? Is it present day? Perhaps the season might be included in your 
world, the environment of a story, as well as cultural elements like social, political, and religious systems. This is what an element of storytelling, the world. Next is the language, the words of a story, the grammar, the style, the voice of the writing, everything from word choice to character names, to how the writer puts together sentences, paragraphs, scenes, and chapters. All of this relates to the language of storytelling. So the four elements of storytelling are plot, character, environment or setting, and the language. If you do not have those four elements in your story or in the story that you're trying to tell, and this can also be related to nonfiction. If you don't have those elements, then it will definitely be difficult for your reader to follow you. And basically, what those elements, the plot, setting, um, character, language, all of those are basically the four W's of a story. That is the who, what, why, where, when, and then how. If you don't have those five W's and the how as fully defined and crafted elements of your story, your story will, your book, your novel, short story will fall flat and your reader will be definitely confused. So you want to make sure that those elements are captured for your reader. But you may ask yourself, what other things makes a good story great besides having those four basic elements? I'm going to give you 10, 10 other ways or tips on how to make a good story great. So after you have your what, when, why, where, who, and how, after you have those elements of your story, which is plot, language, environment, character, well, after you have those elements, what is it? What's in the sauce, truly? And your story is the sauce. So you have the building bricks, but what's going inside? What's the sauce? There are 10 ingredients to this sauce. The first is adding dramatic content. 
mystery, tension, surprise, and wonder. Adding dramatic contact, content because what you want to do is you want to engage your reader. You want to have your reader invested in the story. But in order to do that, you got to hook them. You have to give them something to feel anxious about turning to the next page. Number two, you want to write with a rhythmic prose. Read aloud to hear your writing's musical cadence. This is something that we're going to also discuss in another, uh, further, in later series of this uh, and other parts of this series. Reading aloud is very important. I think that I gave you um, an exercise to complete. And um, I believe it was part three when we talked about journaling or writing things down and then reading it back, reading aloud what you have written. Because see, language is music. Indeed, language is music. And so we want to make sure that what we write down sounds musical, beautiful to our ears, but most importantly, what we read and how we hear it in our imagination. That's really important. And as our reader's imagination opens up as they read, it should flow. It should have a rhythmic flow to it. There's something wonderful about our brains and about our imagination. And language is the key. Language on whether it's something that we can hear audibly or it's the language that's on paper that we translate, our brains translate. And if it doesn't flow, then the reader is not going to develop the passion and the connection, the emotional connection that readers develop with characters or situations in novels. And what you want to do is you want to capture that. You want your reader to become emotionally invested in your story. Three, create memorable characters. Give characters goals, strengths, flaws, personas and even your protagonists see there are two types of characters your protagonist and your antagonist which is your I want to say your good character and your bad character but you know within that realm of good and evil or good and bad you have to note that your good character can't be a one-dimensional type of type of individual, a one-dimensional character, because that's boring. 
that's that's boring no one likes that okay but um give that character dimensions to their to their um goodness and there are dimensions and layers to their uh, to a character who is the protagonist let's take for example the character of Melanie Hamilton um, Melanie Hamilton <laughs> in the book Gone with the Wind okay Melanie Hamilton is the good character is the protagonist in this story. She is married to Ashley Wilkes. Now, Melanie Hamilton, in the eyes of Scarlett O'Hara, she's a so-called goody-goody two-shoe, okay? And in this particular book, she is created as the the good to Scarlett O'Hara's evil. However, Melanie Hamilton, she is a goody, goody, goody <laughs> two-shoe. She is. However, she has strengths. She has flaws. She has weaknesses in her character. You may say, how so? The fact that she is unwilling to see the deceptive character of her so-called best friend and sister-in-law Scarlett O'Hara the fact that she has she wears rose-colored glasses and does not see or refuses to see or has some type of block within her that keeps her from noticing that Scarlett O'Hara is in love with her husband and that she continuously throws herself at her husband. Melanie does not see that. Even when she is brought, even when she is told on several occasions by her sister-in-law, even though she is told this by her sister-in-law who has witnessed <laughs> who has been an eyewitness to Scarlett O'Hara's devious ways of throwing herself at Ashley Wilkes, even though Melanie is informed of this treachery, somehow she refuses to accept it. And that's a flaw. Melanie Ham Hamilton is a goody two-shoe in the book Gone with the Wind. However, what makes her such an interesting character in this book is the fact that her flaw is she doesn't see. She doesn't see or she doesn't accept 
people for who they are. She doesn't see or accept people for who they are. And that's her flaw. What did her uh, sister-in-law say to her in the book? She says, <laughs> she said, you have you are too good to be true, Melanie. Too, too good to be true. Because every time Melanie is confronted with treachery and deceit, she somehow finds the good, <laughs> the good within the plot and flips it. It's unbelievable. But that is what makes her character interesting. She has a flaw. So creating memorable characters, whether they're villainous or they're good, righteous, they still have to have goals, strengths, flaws, and some type of personality. Number four of what makes a good story great is making each part of your story effective. Be conscious about what you want each, each section, each event that takes place in your story. Be conscious about what you want it to do. What are you trying to say? Be clear about it. Five, deepen your plot within the subplot or deepen your plot with a subplot. Sorry about that. How could other plot lines develop your main themes? Gone with the Wind is an excellent, excellent example of that. Because what is the plot of Gone with the Wind? The plot is that a young girl, a young young lady, Scarlett O'Hara, goes through or becomes a woman in the midst of the Civil War and after the Civil War. So various sections, various parts of the plot of Gone with the Wind, you will see an evolution of this character as she navigates womanhood through her surroundings, through her various surroundings and the various situations that she finds herself in, she grows into, she goes into womanhood, she evolves. How she does it, the different situations that Margaret Mitchell creates helps with that evolution. But there are subplots within this particular book. And what are the subplots? Well, you have the sibling rivalry that Scarlett O'Hare has with her sister. 
Sue Ellen. And if you, I know if you, you've probably seen the film, but in the book, the sibling rivalry between Sue Ellen and, and, and Scarlett is very, very deep, very intricate. So that's the subplot. Then you have the subplot also, of course, between Scarlett and Melanie Hamilton Wilkes. That so-called friendship that's going on right there. It's a friendship sisterhood on Melanie's part, but it's something else on Scarlett's. You have that subplot. How about the subplot of the love affair or not so love affair between Scarlett and Rhett Butler? That's a subplot. Another subplot, which is fantastic to do, to, to really get into and to deal with, is the reconstruction period after the Civil War. That is a fantastic subplot because it discusses white supremacy. It discusses the foundation of the Ku Klux Klan. And they, it, it discusses this particular part of the novel, the subplot of it, it gives you a historical picture of how white people, white Southerners felt about African Americans after the war. That's a whole subplot. So, as I said, there are various subplots within the story Gone with the Wind. And these subplots help drive the main plot, which is Scarlett O'Hara finding herself and going through, evolving through womanhood. Wonderful. Six of what makes a good story great. Make your dialogue count. Ask, how does this dialogue enhance my story? Seven, add immersive settings. Make places detailed and let it change over time. Eight, include conflict. Include characters whose personalities and goals clash. Write great beginnings. Number nine, introduce characters and scenarios beguilingly. Ten, Give satisfying endings. How does the ending resolve primary conflicts? Another great point. You just don't want to write your you write a story and then we get to the end and the end is hurried. It's rushed. You know, it's like and Susie and Susie live happily ever after. The end. What? <laughs> or um and that was that, the end. You want to have a resolution. You want to wrap the story up, yes. But you want to do it in a sense that's going to satisfy your reader. It's not going to have your, your reader out hanging on the limb. I read this book and I got in, I, I invested my time and my, my, my energy and my emotions into this book. And then it ends funky. <laughs> 
<laughs> What's up with that? You don't want to be that writer. You want to wrap everything up, but you want to do it in a, in a way that's satisfying. It's like you are at a very fancy meal. It's 10 courses, right? You go through all nine courses and now it's the dessert round. The dessert course should tie in and complete and complement the entire meal. All right. Now, if you had a really, you went, you're at a fancy restaurant and you have, uh, you've enjoyed this nine, 10 course meal, nine, you know, you really enjoyed the, the, everything is just on point. The tastes are spectacular. The wines complemented each portion of the meal. And then you get to the, the dessert portion and they give you a cookie. Okay. Not, uh, <laughs> They just give you, you know, they just open up a bag of Chippehoys and put a cookie on your plate. How underwhelming is that? How would you feel if that happened to you? You would feel cheated. You would be like, wait a minute, you did all of this. And then we get to the end and you hand me a cookie, a Chippehoys cookie. That's ridiculous. <laughs> So you have to, you have to, as a writer, you have to remember that the ending is the icing on the cake. The ending is the dessert. So give your readers a satisfying wrap up, a tasty wrap up to the ending. Now, if you decide, even if you decide that this particular book is going to be a sequel, there, if you, you do, let's say you decide that this book, the ending is going to, you know, you're going to jump off into a sequel of this particular book. Still, you need to end it a certain way to make it appealing enough and appetizing enough to encourage your reader to prepare to invest in the sequel. Right. You have to entice the reader. So your ending still has to be, it still has to satisfy your reader. It has to answer all of the questions. And even if at the end there is a question left, it should be left in such a way as if the door has closed, but your imagination is free to continue. However, this door has closed. And it's like with Gone with the Wind. At the end of the story, she, Scarlett O'Hara finally realizes at the end that the person that she is really in love with, the person that loves her, the person that she has been in love with, most of her her adult life up until this point is Red Butler and not Ashley Wilkes. She finally sees Ashley for who he is and she finally evolves and understands who she is and what she truly wants. And when she goes to her husband, Red, and lets him know that she wants to work on their marriage. She wants to she wants to really, you know, strengthen their bond. She wants to give this relationship a go. 
she finds that her husband is packing his bags and leaving her. And she's like, oh my God, I went through all this drama, 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 on top of drama. I've been married how many times? One, two, three times. I have children. I have gone through suffering. I have gone through the two. I have gone to and through the depths of hell and back. And now I figured out who I am and I figured out who I really, really love. And I want to, to, to really engage this. And now my life is falling apart again. Now I am basically back to square one alone. And so she says, what am I supposed to do? And then Brett famously tells her, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And so she goes back and she thinks about her life. She says, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to make it? What is going to become of me? Right? And then her mind flashes back to a conversation that she had with her father when she was a girl. And he was telling her that what she truly loves and what nurtures her and feeds her is her homeland is Tara, her home. And throughout the story, we have learned Tara is another subplot of Gone with the Wind. But we learn that everything that she is as a woman is tied into the land of Tara. And so she gets a hold of herself She's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let this defeat me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go home. I'm going to get myself together. And I'm going to figure this out. And I'm going to get my man back. You know, because guess what? Tomorrow is another day. So... This ending, Margaret Mitchell did not intend to write a sequel to this book, even though there has there is a sequel that's written by someone else called Scarlet as a, as as a uh, continuation of the story of Gone with the Wind. However, Margaret Mitchell did not intend to write a sequel. However, this ending, the ending. Even though our, our main character, our protagonist, did not get what she wanted. Is at the end of the story alone. Because of her selfishness and her greed and her insensitivity. Flaw. Even though that occurred where she is 
emotionally bankrupt, not financially bankrupt, but morally, emotionally bankrupt. She realizes that there is hope. And hope, hope is the ending. So there is a way to create a satisfying ending. And that tells you that an ending doesn't necessarily have to be wrapped up tidily with the bow. What it shows you is that you can create a satisfying, a delicious ending. By being creative with your imagination and offering the reader something to think on satisfyingly, something to meditate on. But while you're doing that, you are closing the door of that book, of that story. And Margaret Mitchell did a wonderful job of that. 10. That was Give Satisfying Endings. However, to get to the ending, you have to have a great beginning. So I want to read to you the beginning of Donald Goings Street Players. And this book was written in, I'm thinking, 1971. I have to do some more research on that. All right, so Donna Goings dedicates this book to his daughter, Donna Fatima Goings. All right, now, I do not own the rights or the copyrights to this book. I am using it for educational purposes only. All right, so this is chapter one of Donald Goins' Street Players. All right, now follow along with me. See if you can use your imagination to visualize um, how Donald Goins creates a world or captures a world and is able to place it on paper and translate it to us as the reader. All right, now listen as I, as I read. Follow along with me. Chapter 1. Earl's apartment was elaborately, tastefully, and expensively furnished. The three young men lounging on the floor had completely disregarded the plush gold velvet couch and matching chairs to stretch out on the high pile red wall-to-wall -wall carpet. Charles, a tall Negro with brown bumpy skin and a high natural began crawling towards the coffee table while Earl and the others watched listlessly. 
Anybody want me to roll them a joint? He asked. You can twist me another as long as you're at it, man. Billy, a slim, dark complexion black man called from the far corner. Billy pushed the cushion from beneath his head and rose to a sitting position, patting his hair lightly, pushing the process back in place. He eyed Earl, who was standing across the room, looking out of the picture window. Say, Earl, he said, let's call up some square bitches and have them come over and dig this penthouse of yours, man. Earl, tall and brown-skinned, ran his fingers across his mustache, smiled, and walked to the glass-topped coffee table where Charles was busy twisting reefers. He picked up a joint and pointed it towards Billy before lighting up. That's the reason I got this penthouse, Billy. Instead of some run-down, cold water flat across town, he said. What the hell you mean by that? Duke, the fourth member of the group, asked as he came over and joined the men at the table. He accepted one of the joints Charles held out to him. Earl took a slow drag from his reefer before answering. I'd feel like a damn fool if we had some square bitches sitting around getting high and one of my whores should happen to come home, he said. Billy picked up a cushion and tossed it over beside the table so that he could kneel on it. What difference would it make? You're supposed to be the one doing the pimping, Earl, not one of your whores. Duke laughed loudly. I ain't got nothing to do with it, Earl, but Billy is pulling your coat to be real, to the real. Pimping is my livelihood, nigga, so I don't need any goddamn instructions. Earl replied sarcastically, neither you nor Billy will give me a goddamn penny towards my rent or car note if I blew my horse. So don't worry about how I take care of my business. Goddamn, baby, Billy replied jokingly. If someone who didn't know us heard you talking, they wouldn't believe we was real cool with each other. That's right, Duke yelled, putting his two cents in. He removed a large bankroll and began counting hundred-dollar bills on the table. I'll gladly loan you any parts of this cash if you need it, man. Go ahead. Take what you want. Charles twisted up the last reefer. Why don't you motherfuckers quit bullshitting? If it wasn't for them bitches Earl got out on the track, he couldn't borrow five dollars, let alone some big stuff. That ain't nothing but neck and the side of it at that that you're talking out of. Earl spoke up with the youthful gaiety and irresponsibility of a young man who didn't care what others thought of him. Ain't nobody asked your greasy black ass to loan me no money so you could quit flashing that little role of yours. You sure in the hell ain't impressing nobody but that ADCC. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> you sure in the hell ain't impressing nobody with that ADC trap money. Duke stuffed his bankroll back into his pocket. Okay, nigga, I hear you rapping. Just because you got this pad up here, you must think that makes you one hell of a pimp. Earl laughed harshly. They rent these penthouses to anybody, Duke. All you got to do is be handling. 
all of the men laughed while Duke sneered, revealing a perfect set of evenly spaced, well-kept teeth. There was a constant undercurrent of competitiveness between the men in the apartment. None really trusted the other, not where their women were concerned. It was great sport for one to end up by taking one of his friend's girls. Duke continued his harassment. I still don't know how you went about getting this place, Earl. You sure don't look like no pecker would. What did you do? Send one of your white girls up here to rent it? Again, the men in the room all laughed. Earl adjusted his pants and straightened his shirt. Whatever I did, Duke, you can bet I did it like a player. In fact, if you should want a place here and can't get it because of your extremely dark man tan, you can let your white girl rent it and you put on a white jacket and carry her bags in for her. That ain't nothing but bullshit you keeping you keep kicking back and forth, Billy says suddenly. I don't understand it. But every time you two get together, it always ends with both of you trying to drop lugs on each other. Charles nodded in agreement. That's right. Instead of pimps, you act like two bitches. Earl and Duke glared at the other two men. Neither man actually wanted to discontinue the light exchange. Both men had a hidden dislike for one another, and yet they ran together almost every day. Let's ride down on the horse and see who's catching them the biggest, Duke said suddenly as he stood up. A dry, bitter laugh escaped from Earl. Since you ain't got no whores down on the track, how in the hell are you going to find out who's catching what and how? Earl grinned at the other men, then added, Unless what you really mean is, let's ride down and see what them thoroughbred bitches I got are doing. Not really, Earl. You know you ain't the only person in this room who happens to have a soul sister working down on the track. Bravo, bravo, Billy shouted, clapping loudly. Earl watched Billy with the attitude of a man well aware of the deceitful nature of the people he deals with. Charles bent over and knocked the ashes off his joint. Well, all the reefer is gone now. Let's do something. Here, Billy said, tossing a small package on the table. Let's snort this little bit of poison up before we pull. Earl stared at the package as though someone had tossed a snake on his table. Well, I'll be damned, Billy. You mean to tell me you've been carrying all that smack around in my car all day without me even knowing about it? All right, so what I have just read is the first two pages of Donald Goins Street Players to You. How did you like it? Did you get a feel of what's going on? Did you were you able to see in your mind or imagine the scenario, the setting of uh, Street Players of what Donald Goins was beginning his story about? As you know, street players, obviously, as you got into it, you realize that it's about pimps. You also understand that um, um, you understand the 
you get into the mentality of pimps as friends within the first few pages of this story. So we're going to get into some more with Street Players in uh, the next or later series of So You Want to Be a Writer. But did you see the layers that Donald Goins was able to place upon the reader, upon his characters, the setting, the dialogue, right? The dialogue is wonderful. How about um, the characters, the characters of the pimps, uh, how he created the characters of the pimps? You had an idea of what they look like. Um, the beginning of this story, which talked to us about what the penthouse looked like, the carpet, the table, the people that were in the room, the weed that was on the table. We had a really, really clear, imaginative way to envision what Earl's apartment looked like. So these are some of the elements that you can put into your story, how you can make a good story great. Thank you for tuning in to part four of So You Want to Be a So You Want to Be a Writer. I would suggest that you tune into parts one, two, and three as well and pick up the gems that I was able to lay down for you to help you become the author or the writer that you aspire to be. And you can do it. You can really, really do this. I know you can. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay tuned, of course, for and stay um, anticipating on the anticipation mode because I'm working on part five of So You Want to Be a Writer. So get ready for that. Remember, if this is your first time tuning in, please, please, please do not hesitate to listen to parts one, two, and three. Thank you so much. This is Tracy Ricks Foster, and you can do whatever you want to do. If you want to be a writer, guess what? The sky is the limit. You can do it. So you want to be a writer. Let's get started. Have a great day.